I've gathered you this candlelit dinner for one reason. It may seem romantic to you, but to me, these flames signify the burning rage inside of me over losing power for four days. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like we watched one of these movies a lifetime ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like, uh, if you think it's going to be boring, we don't have to talk about it long or whatever, uh, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about a little bit. Um, long story short, um, I know that this is, you know, oversimplifying the situation, but a seven-minute storm happened. And 300,000 people lost power for four days. Yeah. And some 100,000, I don't know, still don't have power. Uh, I could check the DTE app if you're interested. I'm not. I was there. I experienced it. I'm still going to check. Okay. I'm interested in how many people still don't have power. But it was roughly 12% of their customer base lost power. For sure, I feel like talking about this on the show like this um, definitely feels like doing stand-up that is like specific to your roommates yeah like, hey has anyone noticed that chris brushes his teeth like this <laughs> uh but eleven thousand people still don't have power exactly so those so. eleven thousand people might appreciate listening to this when they eventually can um yeah i was gonna bring this up too just one specific part also i should though. specify i do this all the time it's 1100 not eleven thousand. okay well you ever have that problem you ever yeah, do sometimes, that yeah. yeah yeah um they go to see a number i have to think about it first and it goes at a thousand or hundred yeah but, yeah um, unless it's, you know, like 100 to 900. <laughs> <It's anything laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm sorry, did you have anything more specific to say about it? Oh, I was going to go on for a little while, yeah. Okay. Well, what's your finer point? Were you going somewhere? No, there was just one part of it that I wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll get there. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so it happened on a Monday at like 6 p.m. You just got Sunset home. Scene. And we keep beautiful, in my opinion... Um, outdoor olive garden lights in our living room. Mm-hmm. It's very beautiful, very tasteful. Um, I'm sitting on the couch. You're standing up. Before we even get the chance to say hi to each other, it goes out. We both look at it, and we're like, eh, I'll be back on in 10 minutes. And then four days pass. Yeah, four days pass. But anyways, first night, it's kind of cute. You know, We were like, oh, how funny it would be if we went and got like little saucers for candles, and we walked around in nightgowns and you know, yeah, very yeah. Christmas carol. <laughs> that might have been my favorite part is our... <laughs> friend of the show elton yeah was with us and we went and did that and we got a bunch of candles and little candlesticks and candle holders and we walked around all hunched over going who goes there and just dumb stuff like that yeah uh yeah very scrooge um my favorite part is that i i guarantee you between the three of us the thought of a flashlight never <laughs> occurred to any of us um yeah and uh, we charged car phone phone and car for hours or whatever uh, went to bed next day got my hands on a generator that was a fiasco i appreciate the fact that i was lent the generator um also i had to run the generator the wrong way <laughs> for yeah. just three days yeah because i don't i'm not a mechanic i don't know engines but there's like a, a choke switch that after you get it going you're supposed to flip over that thing just did not want to go over without shutting the whole thing down and uh when i called my stepdad he was just like nah fuck it run it with that thing off or on i don't know which one is the wrong one but whichever one's the wrong one so that thing just guzzled the ass for like three days so on top of everything i was normally doing i had to like intermittently like run and get eight dollars worth of gas and a two gallon thing and pour it in the fucking thing every couple hours because it was just guzzling yeah i i stayed here the first night without power 
I watched uh, you fuck with the generator for about 45 minutes. It was like two hours total that I did it. Yeah. I watched for maybe an hour, and I went, I'm going to go. And I I stayed somewhere else for a couple days, and then I came back when we had power. Yeah. And um, I will also say, this is also, you know, I don't know how interesting this is. There was definitely a couple of days that I spent where my primary hobby was just hopping on Twitter and watching everybody at dt and just be like hey dt suck my balls yeah <laughs> um and yeah like i said the, the the rage was genuinely just like i can remember tuesday opening the little app or whatever and it being like yeah 80 percent of uh, the people out of power should have it back by thursday and i was like yeah what the thursday yeah you know so anyways it came back thursday there's not much else to talk about without getting boring but that's the overview uh, what was the specific part you wanted to talk about? Uh, we had food in our fridge. Yeah. And so, like you do when you lose power, you yeah. know, I'm going to go get a bunch of bags of ice. Yeah. I'm going to turn my fridge into a big cooler. <laughs> yeah. And we did that. Yeah. And it was great. It was a smart idea of us. Go us. Yeah. But I opened to check to see if you did it. And I was like, mm, ice isn't in there. Yeah. And you came running over. You're like, shut the fridge. It's going to lose all the cold. And I was yeah. like, what about the ice? And you're like, it's in there. And what you had done, so you had taken all of our things... Yeah. Put it on the bottom row of the fridge. Yeah. And then open the produce drawers on the bottom mm-hmm. and put the ice in there and then yeah. close those. So, in my opinion, nothing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, there's a separation between the ice and the food. Why would you do that? And we had a maybe the biggest fight we've ever had about anything about it. <laughs> and it's so, I don't even want to talk about whether I was right or you were right. Yeah. I thought about doing this bit on here and calling your dad and asking for his opinion, but I don't feel like doing it right now. So okay. just imagine I did that and it was very funny. But I I don't know. I think I only a handful of times have you and I been in this type of argument uh-huh. where I can just see on your face how just not so much angry, but just like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. <laughs> I, can just, I can see this look on your face about how just confused you are about how we're not agreeing on this because you and I most of, most of the time agree on everything. Yeah. And I can see this look on your face and it's so weird because I can feel that look happening inside of me. And it's like, I'm looking in a mirror and I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to do with this right now. Yeah. And it's, it's, this is like the only time it's ever happened. Uh, well, me and you get in an argument, but we're, we're just doing this and Elton's there and he's on my side sometimes and he's on your side sometimes. And I'm like, well, Chris, why wouldn't the ice just touch that? And you're like, it's making the whole thing cold. And in my brain for just like as quick as lightning, just a flash of a thought and my brain goes, well, you can hit him. <laughs> and I'm like, I've never felt that way about anyone before. And I'm like, oh, t- no, I can't be doing that. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> anyway, all the food got fucked the next day and we yeah. ended up having to throw everything away. Mm-hmm. And then we watched our second movie, and now we're here. Um, was that the end of it? Yeah, that's all I had to talk about. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I guess that's the the most tragic part about the whole ordeal is that, like, the ice was a good idea for, like, yeah, you know, if it's going to be out for 12 hours. Exactly, yeah. Good call. But when you wake up in the morning and power's not on, you can't keep doing ice. Exactly. Ice has run its course. Um, I took an autism test. You want to talk about that? What was the, what were the results? Well, I don't know if you know this about me, but many, many people over the course of my life, whether it be friends or family or medical professionals, have been like, hey, you might want to take one of these tests. And I'm always like, nah, I'm fine. I'm good on that. Yeah. And then uh, earlier today, someone sent one to me mm-hmm. that they've been talking about for a while. 
And I took it. It's about, I think it was like 80 questions or something like that. Okay. And some of these questions I screenshotted because I'm like, oh, you guys just got me down. <laughs> you guys got me. <laughs> uh, question 39. I cannot tell when someone's flirting with me. True now and when I was young was my answer. Uh, 58. I can chat and make small talk with people. Never true. <laughs> question 64. How to make friends and socialize is a mystery to me. True now and always. Um, and so here are the interpretations of the scores. If you get a score of 25, you are not autistic. Okay. You are not on the spectrum. 50, some autistic traits, but likely not autistic. Uh-huh. 65, minimum score at which autism is considered. Mm-hmm. A score of 90, stronger indications of autism, though non-autistic, may score as high. Okay. 130, the mean score of autistic people, strong evidence of autism. Mm-hmm. Score of 160, very strong evidence for autism. Chris, I got a score of 161. <laughs> So, yeah, that's cool to know about myself. Also, it's just yeah. an online test, so I'm not taking it. Yeah. Well, let me talk to your doctor. Very seriously. I'd rather not. Okay. Is that weird of me? I guess. I don't know. My sister just found out she's autistic, so. Like, what can you do about it? Like, if you know, like, for sure that you're on the spectrum, I don't do I just have to go through the rest of my life being like, well, I know that for a fact now, or I could live in this nice little limbo where I'm like, am I? I have Schrodinger's autism. <laughs> am I autistic? Am I not autistic? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know my sister has talked about resources. I've never inquired what those resources might be that become unlocked. If you have that hmm. trait, I don't Can know. Can you get a grant or something? I don't know. Can I make some quiche off of this? I don't know. In that case, I'd for sure do it. Eating Soup Alone is a podcast hosted by me, Christopher Crumlin, and co-hosted by Nicholas Johnson. We try our best to ramble incoherently about a handful of movies at least once a week. Anyway. Yeah. What do you want to talk about first? We watched uh, Mahal and Drive and Titan. Your call. Oh. Dealer's choice. Oh. If you will. I gotta run to the mailbox if I need to get the mail. <laughs> okay, so for like every week, Titan, written by a listener. We didn't get one for Mulholland Drive, so I wrote Mulholland Drive myself. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna hand you both letters, upside down. Uh huh. You should pick one. Yeah, I kind of remember the rough situation. I feel like so maybe if I shuffle it like uh, one of those little uh, stands that cartoon characters set up in public spaces put a ball underneath one of the cups mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. deal you know i think i saw bart simpson doing that Yo, for at sure. a school fair one that time like, that's like old school depiction of new york <sighs> well what are the odds i pulled the first movie we watched oh maholan drive nice <laughs> you okay we've been doing that a lot lately <coughs> i've been fucked since i took that booster nah <coughs> i think i'm still kind of getting over it I got COVID boosted. A preview of Mulholland Drive, written by Nick Johnson. Mulholland Drive is David Lynch's penultimate film. Unless you consider Twin Peaks The Return to be an 18-hour film, which would make Inland Empire his penultimate film, and you a pretty cool dude. Largely considered to be Lynch's best work, starring Naomi Watts, Laura Harding, 
Laura Haring. Haring? Sure. Starring Naomi Watts, Laura Haring, and Justin Theroux. I remember none of this movie. 7 out of 10. Well, don't worry, because I've got a steel trap. Um. So they called me. Well, that's not really what they called me. They called me Elephant Brains. Well, that's not true. My partner calls me that. They used to call me Bitch Boy. Anyway. I think this is the first... Oh, sorry. Chris, what's your experience with the Mulholland Drive? I, you... for, I forgot this time. No, that's okay. I have no experience with this at all. I really don't. Maybe we watched it the other day. That's about it. Same. Yeah. Uh, I did not know it was his penultimate film. Yeah. Yeah. Did not know that uh, Wild at Heart was like 1990, and it like was only three years after Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with Lost Highway. For some reason, I pegged Lost Highway as being in the early aughts, and definitely not Mulholland Drive. I thought it was a mid-90 release. I was, for some reason, in my head, I had it that it was like 95 or something, but that's more in line with what Lost Highway was. So Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, no, watching this movie, I was like, oh, I don't know what Lost Highway is. Yeah. Everything I saw in this movie, I'm like, I thought this is what Lost Highway was. Interesting. What about you? Do you have any history to talk about, or do you just want to get into the movie? Or? Uh, no, you, you put this on your list for yeah. things we should watch for the show. And you said, I want to watch it. And I said, well, let's watch it. Yeah. And then it was time to pick another movie. I was like, mm, what am I going to pick? And you're like, yeah. you picked Mulholland Drive. I was yeah. like, no, you did. Yeah. And we got into a fight, not as big as the ice one, but uh-huh. still a little scuffle. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, just a, a, another David Lynch movie I've heard of. Um, yeah. I know it was originally a television show. Ooh. You can look up the pilot online. Ooh. And it is, it's so strange to see. Yeah. Because it's just like the first hour of this movie. Uh-huh. But it looks like it's shot on a different camera. Okay. It look, looks like it's shot on a video camera. Okay. But they're the same shots. Hmm. And, like, it makes me think that it was like a, a Tommy Wiseau The Room thing where he had the contraption with two cameras on top of each other yeah. so he could film it twice. Um. Yeah, it was going to be a TV show. Are we ever going to do The Room? I'd rather not. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, like a, are you ever going to see the disaster artist? I have. Oh, okay. I haven't seen the room, but I've seen the disaster artist. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm the opposite. The um, oh god, what's his name? The actor, he plays Sheriff Truman in season three of Twin Peaks. Great question. You know who I'm talking about, though. That sure. Actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old guy. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's Frank something. Sure. I don't know if I'd even know it. Uh, he's in this movie. Yeah. For a minute, and he's a police officer okay and he was going to be a reoccurring character on the show uh-huh. that's why he shows up for a yeah. minute didn't peg him don't even really remember the police officer scene you're talking about but... um it's like right at the beginning i guess i lied about that steel trap thing earlier. yeah i guess yeah um and originally the pilot the the, uh, the inception for the show was going to be a spin-off of twin peaks and our main character played by naomi watts in this movie was going to be audrey horn not like the actress who plays Audrey Horn. That's very Audrey interesting. Horn was going to be the main character of that show. Okay. Um, and this is, I don't know, I think the first David Lynch thing I've seen, or when it was done, I was like, I got I got nothing. <laughs> I got no idea what this movie, I got nothing, yeah. nothing on what this movie's trying to uh, do or say. Yeah. Or mean. And then um, I did a little research afterwards. Which is interesting because uh, to this point, your criticism of the movies has been i get it and i got it quick yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. that's a great point yeah um after doing a little bit of research about this movie and uh hearing other people's thoughts and opinions on what's going on in it i think the general consensus 
is you know at the end where she's a different person and everybody else is a different person for yeah. a bit that's real life mm-hmm. and the rest of this is a dream she's having okay i don't know about you chris uh-huh but after watching synecdoche new york after watching them thinking of ending things i'm just tired I'm just tired of watching <laughs> movies that are happening kind of in people's heads. Yeah. Like, as soon as I started hearing someone say that, I was like, ah, fuck, all right. Yeah. I think apparently the first shot of this movie, you can hear her doing a big, big hit of crack. Like, a big, like, you just hear someone lighting a crack pipe, and apparently this whole movie is happening while she's... It's a pipe dream? It's literally me? a pipe dream, yeah. Apparently uh. this whole movie's a pipe dream. Interesting. Or maybe it's not, depending on how you want to see it. Yeah. It's a movie... Yeah. Hard is up to the. Yeah. The I'm going to choose to never think about that ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't need a two and a half hour movie where the first hour is a dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Personally. I just, uh, yeah. But I, unfortunately, for the most part, like I said, because of the power, because of the power outage, I remember moments of this movie. And yeah. That's pretty much it. Well, we start with what would be a really kick-ass um, Apple commercial if Apple commercials didn't suck. You know I'm talking about? When it used to be, like, green with, like, little white people dancing or whatever. Oh, right. That's how this movie yeah. starts. It yeah. starts with something really cool. I'm like, that's really cool. I like this. It's her at that, uh... Oh, that's right. She talks about winning some competition in her hometown. I, I guess I don't have a steel trap. It. Sure, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I really don't have a steel trap. Okay, we get a couple of things. Yeah, we get our main... Um, oh, that's right. We start with the... There's a car accident on, on a Mulholland Drive. Or Sunset Boulevard? Or is it Mulholland Drive? I think it's Mulholland Drive. Yeah, but she wanders to Sunset Boulevard? Yes. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, this is odd. Uh, she's in the backseat of the car. Uh, our to-be-love interest of Naomi Watts. And there's a couple of guys, and they're like, we're going to stop up here. And she's like, we don't stop here. And then a, a, a car full of rowdy college students just slam into him. She lives. And in a very <clears throat> Lynchian moment, in not in the sense that most people mean it, but I mean it in the sense of, like, you know how we were talking about uh, um, Charlie Kaufman and like how like he must have had some very specific experience in his experiences in his life. Um, yeah, David Lynch did have a very specific experience in his life where, as a child, one of his earliest memories is at night a woman naked and bleeding wandering out of the the woods towards him and his brothers, or whatever, hmm. or his brother. Um, and that's why in like Blue Velvet and this movie and yeah. even in Twin Peaks, you get that shot of a woman hurt like wandering out. Like you have uh, Renette Pulaski on the yeah. train tracks, or in you know. He put this disease in me. Mm-hmm. Or, in, or in this film. And uh, to have a tangent on top of a tangent, I think of this movie a lot like the Blue Velvet. There are a lot of things that are very similar. Um, you kind of have this plucky, young, naive main character who falls in love with a, um, a sort of dark and mysterious woman with an accent um, who helps her work through a mystery. Yeah. You know? So, so it's... I get him. It sucks. It sucks knowing or hearing someone say that this movie's a pipe dream because every problem I have with it, I'm like, well, it's literally a pipe dream. So like it's so, <laughs> like I, like in parts of it, parts of it are nice and they make sense. Like when she gets to Hollywood, yeah, and she's at the airport. She meets that very nice couple, uh-huh. and then she turns around and a cab is already putting her bags uh-huh. in the back of the trunk. 
she doesn't have to hail a cab or anything like that. Like, things mm-hmm. are just going well for her. And it's like, that makes sense because it's a dream. But then, like, for the rest of the movie, I'm like, oh, it's so strange that this woman just wandered in her house. And she's like, I'm going to help you solve this caper. Yeah. And uh, go to the police. That's what, yeah. that's what you should do. So the movie is supposed to be a crack addict in L.A. who came here. At least her dream was that she was going to become a famous actress. But instead, she's just a little, little crack addict. Yeah, because her girlfriend got a part instead and then started yeah. dating Justin Trudeau and they're getting married. Yeah. Very strange. Well, anyways, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, so the lady who was in the car accident wanders off into the woods. Very Lynchian moment. Seen it two times before. Maybe more. I haven't seen all of his movies. There, there are I've seen a, it two times a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of scenes in this that remind me of... And I think it's supposed to be on purpose. There are a lot of like shots and like moments in this that straight up are in the third season of Twin Peaks as well. Mm-hmm. Other than the naked woman coming out of the woods. Then she wanders into Naomi Watts's grandmother's house. She Thanks. happens to be moving out. She goes into that thing. Then, yeah, you're right. We meet Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she makes friends with these old people. Hails a cab. Goes to her house. Finds the woman taking a shower in her grandmother's house. Or her aunt's house, house, whatever, yeah. And assumes it must be a friend of her aunt, and they become pals. Very quickly, she realizes this woman has amnesia and a bunch of cash. Very exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Chris, if you could have amnesia for a day, would you? I feel like it'd be cool. (sighs) What kind of hijinks could I get up to? Like, like you know for sure today the... Will Smith is going to come in here with that Men in Black thing. Yeah. He's going to wipe your memory for a day. And tomorrow yeah. your memory will be back. Yeah. And you'll still remember Amnesia Day. Yeah. I just feel like it'd be real cool to just walk around my own life and know just <laughs> dick about all of it. Yeah, I probably would. It's a very similar commitment to spending your day to when I asked it. <laughs> yeah. It just seems exciting. When I see her walking around being like, I don't know who I am. I'm like, let yeah. me do that again with the accent. When I just see her walking around this movie, she's like, I don't know who I am. I'm like, oh, God. What a, yeah. what a dream. Yeah. I wonder if it's a, uh, it has to be because it's a medical condition. Like, hopefully, I don't know. It is not practical anyways, but my first thought was like, I wonder if you could get out of some shit with like that. Like, just be like, oh, sorry, IRS, I had amnesia. Like, That's a great question. <laughs> you know what I mean? It has to be because it's a medical condition, so yeah, it has what, to be an exemption for a lot of things like that. Yeah, you know? if you, like if you had jury duty, but you had amnesia, and they're trying to come after you for not yeah. But going. what if you like? What if you like robbed a bank or murdered somebody and then got conked on the head? Yeah, and could for sure prove that. Oh, I have amnesia now. So sorry, different guy. Well, the conked on the head would have to happen before the crime was committed. Would it? Yeah. What I'm saying is. You rob the bank, yeah, and you get, and then you go on the run, and then yeah. you get conked in the head, yeah, and then you go to the police, and you're like, "Hey, I have amnesia, and I don't know who I am." Yeah, would they arrest you and be like, "Yeah, well, yeah, you were sure. that guy," and yeah. then you spend the rest of your life in jail as a, a different person who didn't rob that <laughs> bank? I mean, I think you're taking a very philosophical look at that. Yeah, like you would consider someone who has amnesia a totally different person, just not if it's permanent and it lasts the rest of their life. Yeah. yeah. But if they wake up one day and they go, I remember robbing the bank. Yeah. In the slammer you go. Interesting. It's a very interesting distinction to make. Okay. But yeah, I think on a governmental label, level, they'd probably just be like, nah, I'm sorry. We we got to put you in the slammer. And what you're saying robbed. is if you get conked in the head and then are like, I don't know who I am. I'm going to go rob a bank. And yeah. then you rob that bank and yeah. then you remember who you are. Yeah. They probably still throw you in the slammer. They would absolutely throw you yeah. in the slammer. Yeah. yeah. I think both scenarios are going to the slammer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, 
we meet a hitman who kills a guy for what reason i don't know he has like a black book and he needs the black book oh yeah yeah i absolutely yeah 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 uh very funny scene though because he accidentally shoots a large woman um and then he tries to coerce a very skinny janitor i don't know i'm making so much note of people's body types Mm -hmm. um He's yeah, like, the bullet goes through the wall and yeah. he goes into that room. He's like, Jesus like, Christ. And he has to like go kill her now, I guess? Which he doesn't. I think this scene is very strange because she goes, oh, a bug bit me. Yeah. Because it like went through a wall and then like yeah. maybe grazed her or something like and that. And he tries to beat the shit out of her. Yeah. She's fighting back. Yeah. And he ends up killing three people instead of just one. Yeah. Which is very strange. He could have for sure had that guy shoot him or make it look like that guy shot himself and the bullet. Yeah, he could have just left. Yeah, yeah, he could have just, just left. left. Really could have just left. No one's on. Yeah. Um, but the scene's better for him having stuck around. Yeah, it reminds me yeah. of um, specifically the woman just being like, "Oh, Jesus, big bug bug bit me" or something like that. She reminds me of the woman in Twin Peaks season three, where their cops are there to check on Ruth Davenport, I believe, and they need the keys to get in the apartment. You know what I'm talking about? And the woman's like. Oh well, you gotta go talk to Mickey. He's the he's the the maintenance guy around here, and they go look for Mickey, and they can't find him. And they're like, and it's a big comedy of errors. And it turns out the first woman that they talked to was like, "Oh, I have Ruth's keys. I'm supposed to watch her plants while she's out of town." Yeah, just that woman reminds me of that woman. Then we get Miley's favorite part of the whole thing, where that guy describes the dream he has, and how I look over there, and you're super scared, and I'm super scared. This is your least favorite part of the movie. Yeah, this is my absolute favorite part of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god, Chris, I think this scene is so good. Yeah, that culminates yeah. in evil grimace. Yeah, you didn't like that? Not really. No. Oh, Chris, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I that feels like such a you scene too. Like him sitting there explaining that dream and just being scared. Yeah. And I can see you and you're also scared, but I don't know why. Yeah. And I can see this man's face through the building and I yeah. know he's the reason why. Yeah. That's not great to you. <laughs> I was horrified the entire time he was telling that story. <laughs> Evil Grimace didn't really scare me. Yeah. But just, yeah, up until walking up there and then the jump scare didn't really get me because, yeah, it looks like... Evil Grimace, yeah. Just a, a dirty old witch is sitting behind the dumpster. Yeah. But... Oh, I just thought all of that was great. It was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. I like, um, yeah, I guess there are things I like about it, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how to qualify it other than, like, it's similar to the Hitman scene, in my opinion, where, like, uh, yeah, the comedy errors thing is kind of funny. And like you said, like, yeah, that is a little spooky. I you know the I like the I look over there you're 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 scared you know I'm scared whatever, but ultimately, I don't know. I feel like there's no way I'm gonna be able to describe it that doesn't like you said like this seems like it should be up your alley. So anything I do to try to qualify why I don't like it, it's just not gonna work. But yeah, I don't like hate it. It's just one of those things where like uh, yeah, it wasn't like yeah, I it, I wasn't as touched as you were. I guess I'm sorry. I and I th- I, th- I think for the rest of this movie and for if you know you think of it as a pipe dream or whatever yeah i think this is the best part of the movie because when you see her actual life at the end yeah she's in this diner talking to the hitman actually uh-huh. and she kind of just glances over and sees the guy from la noir and whoever he was talking to at the diner yeah and it's one of those things where it's like you know apparently in your dreams your mind can't make up a face so it just mm-hmm. puts in people you've seen before so all of this just feels like, you know, 
doesn't at all need to be in this movie and it makes no sense whatsoever yeah unless i don't know unless the evil witch is like i don't know something it's got to mean something evil what is evil chris what is the evil witch in this movie I don't know, but I guess okay. here's here's maybe one of the better ways I can put it is yes, I don't mind the part that's in the diner. I like that, but then there's because again, like again, I feel like I'm putting my foot in my mouth because like I like things that are dreamy and stuff like that, and that explains it. But like they wander out for some reason and then go behind the dumpster and see evil grimace. I mean, it's like a dream. Like I said, I yeah, I, because yeah, that's I can't... that's what he says in his dream. That's where yeah, the evil grimace is. Yeah, yeah. So his friend goes, well, let's go check. Yeah. Which is an awful idea. Like, especially, especially when he gets up to go pay the check. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and looks at him like he does in his dream. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, Chris, hmm. you're allowed to not like things. That's fine. Yeah. I'm just shocked. Yeah. We can move on. What happens next? I don't know. Now I'm kind of at an impasse because, like, the more I think about it, like, I don't even know if I want to be. Perhaps just cut that whole section. I don't think I dislike it enough to like make a point of even mentioning it on the podcast. Well, I mean, that's what we're doing here. If you didn't yeah. like it, just be like, "Yeah, this is my least favorite part of the movie." It's your least favorite. Yeah, that's part a really hot way to come in because now I'm thinking about some of the other stuff that's in the movie, and I'm like, mm, "There's worse stuff." That's not my least favorite. Okay. In the movie, so let's just cut that little section, and we can talk about it. You start over with. With this scene, you take the reins from here and just say it's your favorite and stuff and why you like it. Well, I would argue that our conversation about you saying it's the worst and me saying it's the best is good. So yeah, but no, what I'm saying I'm is it's gonna... not the worst. Hey, I'm editing this bad boy. <laughs> I ain't cutting that out. But it's not the worst. I don't think it's the worst. Okay, it's one of your least favorite parts of the movie. I wouldn't even put it that far. Really? Yeah. Wow. Just got no backbone on this guy. You're just flipping and flopping all over the place. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, sometimes you, you know, like it reminds me of a time when uh, I was young and um, Dumb. my dad was listening to American Idiot. Cool. And okay. just without thinking, I was just like, oh, yeah, kind of lazy how each of these songs like just have lines from the other ones in them. And he was like, it's a concept album. That's like the point. And I was like. Yeah, why did I even like say that? I wasn't even thinking about that. You know what I mean? Like my yeah. my my mind just recognized the pattern, and I was like, I'm just gonna say this out loud. But like, why did I have to say the lazy part? You know? Mm-hmm. Like for example, just then when we were talking about that, I guess I meant to say, like, I don't even know what I meant to say. It's just like for example, like earlier when I was talking about the Dan Schneider, and I was making the joke about. Um, Andy Milanakis. Mm-hmm. I started the sentence by saying it's one of those things. Yeah. Where blah 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 blah, and I was like, well, that's kind of funny because why the fuck would I say it's one of those things? As if the Andy Milanakis situation is applicable to anything else. Yeah, because but you... my brain does that a lot. Just like I, I will fill in whatever the segue is, and then bring up whatever I wanted to talk about next. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like like so like just off the cup. I was like, hey, one of my least favorite scenes. Why? Yeah, because when you said it earlier, you did not say Andy Milanakis, and you said it's one of those things. I was like, what do you mean one of those things? Yeah. I didn't say it to you. Yeah. I have noticed you do this thing all the time. It's kind of like that, where, you're, where you'll go, yeah, and I was talking to my mom or whatever. I'm like, what do you mean, or whatever? You were talking to your mom? Yeah. yeah. It's like um, uh, uh, the nice guys. Dad, yeah. there's whores here and stuff. Honey, don't say stuff and stuff. <laughs> there's just whores here. So, yeah. Also, 
both of us have been watching very long uh, video essays about Dan Schneider television shows, so we have him on the brain for some reason. Not for some reason. I just did it for a reason. I just explained the reason and then said yeah. for some reason. Um, we should do an episode on this show about the iCarly revival. Okay. 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 We won't, but yeah. it's good to think about. So you're saying you're 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 anti having it stricken from the record, though. That section. Yeah. Oh God. I think it led to a nice little conversation. All right. But anyways, um, since you're not gonna edit it out, I'm just gonna look like an asshole. Yeah, I like the scene. Cool. It's great. fine. And then. Yeah, I'm trying to think. God, that steel trap is just busting at the seams, so. Yeah. Do they find the weird key here? Uh, I think they found it when they were looking at the money, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, also something about with all of... I, don't, I feel like this movie, more than any other thing I've seen from him, contains a lot of things that relate back to his other work. Mm-hmm. With actually, you know, no, it's probably the third season of Twin Peaks because that's kind of one of the points. So a lot of Twin Peaks season three relates back to the rest of his work because it's kind of like almost like a retrospective on his career. But one of the things that really uh, um, stood out to me was the box and the key that she has. Mm-hmm. That at the end when she opens, she disappears. Mm-hmm. And um, hold on, hold on. I have supplemental material. I'll be right back. Vamp for a second. I'm at bookshelf. Okay, I'm back, and I can see from the waveforms that you did not vamp. <laughs> um, David Lynch's book, Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. It's a book I've read one and a half times. I don't know if you've ever read it. Yeah, that's my copy. I know, but it doesn't mean you read it. <laughs> I read your copy of Frankenstein before you did. <laughs> um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Going through the index, going through the index can't cut any of this i'm not going to cut the part you wanted me to cut i have to leave all of this in oh this isn't what i was going to say over here uh this chapter is called angelo battlemente who did the music in this movie i think angelo battlemente should do the music and all of david lynch's stuff remember the scene where the, the director is talking to the producer and they're like this is the girl you're gonna hire this girl mm-hmm. someone brings the guy the coffee and he drinks it and it's bad he just goes and spits it out into a napkin that guy angelo battlemente hmm Oh, okay. I found it. Um, page 115. It was actually... Oh, Chris, this is all, this is all coming together for me. It's a chapter called Mulholland Drive. He talks about Mulholland Drive. And this has always confused me, but the next chapter is called The Box and the Key. Mm-hmm. There's just one sentence on this page and it says, I have no clue what those are. <laughs> and yeah. so watching this movie, I was like, oh, me neither, David Lynch. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. That took way too long. It took way too long for me to get this book and read this one sentence. Yeah, there's a, also a recurring theme in Blue Velvet. There's the Blue Rose. The box that key are blue. Mm-hmm. So. Also, I've been doing, we've been doing a lot of Beatles stuff. This book on the cover says it has an interview with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr on it. It does, yeah. What are the chances? <laughs> I suppose I'll bring up the other thing that reminds me of uh, Blue Velvet. They go to a late night club and there's a singer. Definitely loves that. I don't remember that in this movie. Yeah. Oh, when they go to, like, Silencio mm-hmm. at the end. That is my second favorite scene in this movie. Mm. Um, yeah, it gives me big It gives me big 
Twin Peaks vibes for sure. Mm. Like very, like the club that they're in has to mean something, right? Like it has to be an idea of like an idea. You know what I'm trying to say? Like okay. how like the lodge is like. You know what I'm trying to say? Like I think I get I get the feeling from it that that club in this movie is the same type of deal that like the Black Lodge is in Twin Peaks. Like not not so much as it's like where evil spooky demons live, but it's yeah. like it's gotta represent like some state of mind or some place where people's consciences meet or something like that. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Mm. But I do love the scene where that woman sings. It's my favorite David Lynch, a woman sings for two minutes uninterrupted on the stage. <laughs> I like that scene quite a bit, actually. Because they've got the guy, the magician, or whatever, at the beginning, being like, it's all recorded. There's no actual band. And he starts, like, walking around and stuff and, like, doing chore- uh, choreographed, like, uh, acts to the music that's playing. And then he leaves, and a woman comes on stage and just sings this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. Everyone in the audience is, like, tearing up a little bit. I'm tearing up a little bit. I don't speak whatever language the song is being sung in, but it still just resonates. Like, the performance this woman, this woman is giving mm-hmm. is incredible. And then toward the end, she collapses on the ground, and the song keeps going because it's still a recording. They're like, oh, they got us. Yeah. They got us twice. We also get a couple of shots of, um, I don't know the actor's name or even what his name is in Twin Peaks. Um, but the gentleman who hangs out in the lodge. Oh, um, the arm. Yeah. He yeah, plays like a red suit. Yeah, he plays kind of ambiguous bad guy. So, so, so strange. Yeah. Every time you see him. Because this actor, don't know his name, unfortunately, but he's a little person. And for some reason in this movie, he has his head on a taller man's body. Mm. Like, I think it's like a press, like a, it's got to be a fake person's body. Interesting. I thought it was just how they were shooting. No. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was a trick to make him look normal no, size. Look, it, yeah. No, because I think, because his head is still the same size. Mm. So I think he's just, it's his head on a six foot five man's body. It's very yeah. strange. And yeah, he's just the head of like evil corporation that runs the movies. Yeah. There is, um, also a subplot that involves the arm, uh, where there's a director who's being strong-armed into direct the casting a very specific person in a role, which he kind of tries to rebel against. Fun fact, this actor wrote Iron Man 2. Go on. Uh, interesting. Um, finds out that his girlfriend is cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Chris, I'm looking, I just looked up Mahal and Drive because I'm trying to think of the guy's name who played the sheriff in Twin Peaks. Mm. I opened it and went, oh, fuck. I hope Chris forgets about Billy Ray Cyrus so I can bring it up. <laughs> and Billy Ray Cyrus is bad in this movie. I yeah, love yeah, that yeah. he's in it. I hope I wish he was in the, the whole thing, but I don't know. He's just got like a lifetime movie feel to him, which I think works for this movie. It works for a David Lynch movie, but at the same time, I'm like, Billy Ray Cyrus doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Robert Forrester is his name. It's not Frank. Not at all. Hmm. There's also... Um, the entire bit where Naomi Watts' love interest, um, the amnesiac, uh, she recognizes a name. And they decide to track down her house. They break in. She's de- decomposing inside of the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I think those are pretty much most of the building blocks that get us to the latter half where everybody shifts around. I don't know that there's much else that happens other than back at the house Naomi Watts is staying in. Her landlord um, confronts her about uh, her love interest living there. Um, as well as one of her neighbors, an elderly woman, comes to the door babbling nonsense mm-hmm. at one point, and the uh, landlord corrals her. Um, but other than that, she's I don't... like, something terrible is going to happen to you. And the landlord goes, she's usually wrong, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think that's a pretty much a wrap on first half. Um, Weird stuff. She has an audition. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, yeah. And there's a scene where she's practicing it with Rita, mm-hmm. the amnesiac. Um, oh, yeah. I also forgot that they lick nipples and stuff. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Um, she practices it with Rita, and it's just like a over-the-top, hey, you can't be doing this to me anymore, stepdad, or whatever the scene is in the movie that she's going to be in. And then she goes to the audition, plays it totally different. It is just over-the-top sexy. And then she, I think, goes home, and then her and Rita put each other's boobs in their mouth. And they do it a lot in this movie, which led both of us to think that that's what David Lynch thinks that how two women have sex with each other. <laughs> and no one has told him. And um, you were reading me a review by um, famous film critic... Oh, Roger Ebert? Roger Ebert, being like, this is the culmination of David Lynch's career... And like what he's been building to his whole life. And I'm like, Robert, Robert, uh, immediately forgot his name again. Ebert. Roger Ebert. Are you also a horny little freak just like David Lynch? Because <laughs> this movie's so unnecessarily horny just yeah. every turn. In a... Yeah, that is frequently a word used to describe Lynch's work in general as psychosexual. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like this more than anything else. Um, yeah. It's like, if I'm... It, most people point to Blue Velvet being the prime example yeah, of it. But yeah, but this one just it was just, it felt more overt than mm. Blue Velvet to me personally. Um, spoilers, but it feels almost like the opposite of Titan. We'll get there when we get there, but yeah, it just made me, a lot of it kind of weirdly felt like David Lynch being like, mm, I think they're going to let me do this. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the latter half all kinds of shit gets shifted around. The car accident happens again, but it's Naomi Watts in the back this time. And the car accident doesn't happen. She's just in that car and they stop and she goes, we're not supposed to stop here. Okay. And then the door opens and Rita, whatever her name is now, comes out of the woods and goes, we're taking a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And she leads her up this hill to Justin Trudeau's house. And the shot of her leading her up the hill and like holding her hand and her looking at her like you see it from Naomi Watts' point of view that shot is 110% exactly the same shot in uh, the third season of Twin Peaks where he's holding Laura Palmer's hand through the uh. woods um, I think is that is that the first part that we get of new life or real life because I Oh, we blew past Cowboy. Favorite character in this movie. Yeah. Justin Trudeau has to go see a cowboy for some reason. And there's just a man dressed like a cowboy who seems like he's never acted a day in his life. 
and he just talks like this. And he tells Justin Trudeau he has to go here at this time and do this with this person. And I love him, and I think he's great, and I wish he was in more of this movie. But the only other time you see him is there is a shot of the dead woman that they find. And someone's knocking on the door. Nobody answers. Knock on the door again. Opens it. It's Cowboy. And he goes, are you going to wake up? Okay. And shuts the door. And the dead woman turns over and it's Naomi Watts. Mm -hmm. And then you get car stuff. And then they're at the party. And yeah, you find out that these two, her and Rita, whatever her real name are, have been in a relationship. And they both are actresses. And Rita becomes very famous. But she does not. And then she leaves him for the director. She leaves her for the director. And it kind of ruins Naomi Watts' life yeah yeah and then from there she's like the girlfriend of the hitman is she yeah or, or maybe she, no i guess not yeah i think she's just meeting the hitman hiring him yeah yeah and he's like when the hit is done yeah because she she's hiring him to kill her ex-girlfriend yeah and he says when it's done i'll leave this blue key on your kitchen table or whatever yeah well, it's strange because it's a different type of key than the one that was with the box mm-hmm Oh, we forgot that. We for, I mean, we talked about it, but we didn't lead them together. They go to the club. They see the woman sing. She finds a box in her purse. They get back. They open it. They disappear. Then you get dead body. And her neighbor comes over to get her stuff. Isn't it after? But the <clears throat> the key in the box that things become different, or is it? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The key. They open the key in the box. Um, they open the box with the key, and then you see the body in the cowboy. And then it becomes, I guess, real life or whatever. And oh, when do the old people from the beginning run around the house? And they're really tiny, yeah. But then they become big. Yes, and then she shoots herself, and the movie is over. Okay. And we see evil grimace one more time. Correct. Yeah. Also, she beats off and cries. It's very weird. It's hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and she kills herself. Yeah. B minus. Um. um C plus. Good talk. Yeah. Watch that mattress, man. <laughs> Any closing thoughts? Anything? Any way to surmise the um, movie? I for sure like to see it again. Yeah. I'm sure my C plus won't stand after I see it another time. Yeah. Um, like I, I said, would already bump Blue Velvet higher than I. I think I gave it a B plus. I'd probably bump it higher. Yeah. This is for sure my least favorite David Lynch thing I've seen. Yeah. But again, I'd like to see it again. This is an odd one, primarily because I had such a faulty concept of what it was going into it. Um, that it, yeah, it was it was kind of like an um, orienting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it, and um, at the same time was mildly underwhelmed. Yeah. It reminds me mostly, as you said many, many times, of like the Fire Walk With Me season three-ish kind of David Lynch. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say is that there was a review I read where someone noted that it seems, quote-unquote, out of time. (laughs) Yeah. 
That time is 2001. That time is 2001. There's, yeah. a, there's a scene where... There's it's, nothing timeless about this film. Yes, exactly. It's very firmly it's, rooted it's, in a very specific time. It's the scene at the diner that uh, is your least favorite part of the movie. Um, where those two guys are talking, the waitress comes by, and me and you were both like, oh, whoa, that haircut that waitress has existed very specifically for six months in the year 2001. Yeah. That's firmly cemented where this movie is. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I remember what I was going to say, though. Uh, I'd like to see this movie again, but like I said at the beginning, I cannot, I can, I just cannot do another movie right now where it's somebody's brain dream. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to see this movie through that perspective again immediately. So, I don't know, I'm going to let it cool off for a few months and then see it again. Like most David Lynch things I, I've seen, most of his films specifically, I watch and I'm underwhelmed through the whole thing pretty much. And then when it's over, I'm like, oh, no, I actually really liked that. The 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 more time I sit on it, but for some reason, yeah, Mulholland Drive. I was just kind of underwhelmed the whole time, and then it was over, and I I've, I've been pretty underwhelmed, with the exception of the diner scene. Um, and yeah, I think maybe I just need to give it another go. Mm. But as it stands right now, I'm gonna give it a C plus. Right. Yep, movie number two. Titan, directed by Julia mm-hmm. Ducournau. Close. And starring Agith Roussel. It's a 2021 French body horror film that asks the important question, what if everything you know is bullshit? Uh, mainly the idea of fem- family values, gender roles, and your fucked up right wing conformist assumptions that cars don't jizz. Wikipedia. Wikidesia? Oh, okay, sorry. Wikipedia describes it as a film about, quote, a woman who, after being injured in a car accident as a child, has a titanium plate fitted into her head. And, like, yeah, I guess. There's really no way of describing this movie without spoiling huge uh, chunks of it. So. Just take my word for it. This movie is pretty rad, and you should see it. 6.5 out of 10. Also, I don't think it's... I know it's not pronounced Titan. Yeah. Titan. Titan. It's the French word for titanium. Yeah. But... Everyone... I feel like I've heard everyone call it Titan. I've had the exact opposite experience. I've heard everyone call it... Pronounce it correctly. Uh I don't know how. Chris... I don't know if you know this about me. Mm. I'm not a French guy. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you're not either. Mm. So, this film and its main character, from here on out, are called Titan. All right. Chris, what's your experience with Titan? Um, I've just heard a little bit of stuff here and there, but nothing, nothing like, I guess, what I thought it was at all, in a sense. Like, I... I don't know what I'd really heard other than just kind of like, oh, this is like a must-see movie of 2021. I had vague impressions of woman, family values. Um, did not really know the car thing, the pregnant by a car thing, up oh, really? until you had kind of said it uh, the other day. So, yeah, just kind of vague impressions of it being a movie to watch um, from 2021. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, I had a very similar thing where I just heard rumblings. I heard some people here and there talk about this movie and how good it was and how I, I, I heard up front 
that this movie's about a girl getting impregnated by a car. But then that's not really the point. Um, and that a really touching movie follows. And I kept thinking, yeah, I should check that movie out. I'm going to put that on my list one of these days. I'm going to check it out. And the other day, uh, I saw it was on Hulu. And I said, Christopher, we should watch this movie. And you said, it's been on my list. And we watched it. Chris, what did you think of Titan? I like Titan. Um, it reminds me a lot of Videodrome. Um, yeah. From the rip, I'll also say that like I don't care too much about her being pregnant with a car. Mm-hmm. Um, that part exists, you know, kind of like a, a David Lynch movie where, like, you know, let's just say, like, that movie's a pipe dream or whatever. Or whatever. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily interested in that aspect of it, but more so, like, the idea of, um, like, Mulholland Drive or Blue Velvet as that idea of, like, a mystery and the, the stakes of getting involved and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, for me, her being pregnant with the car just adds another layer of drama for her and her situation that she has to hide this pregnancy all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I know that I read online something about how, like, oh, she's like a machine and she doesn't relate to human beings and that's why she fucks a car. And it's like, okay. It's kind of tinny as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah, I, I think, kind of like the pipe dream aspect. Of it, yeah. It's like that's a little tinny. Yeah, I see it, but it almost makes it worse. Like, because then it just becomes cliched. Like, Hollywood's just full of crack whores who wanted to be actresses. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I the same way that it's like, oh, she fucks a car because she can't relate to human beings. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think big big emphasis on that i think i think i think mm-hmm. her getting in the car accident at the beginning and getting the scrambled her brains scrambled her brains and they put a nice titanium plate in her head and that's like a metaphor for why she's such a cold person as an adult but mainly that really is just kind of trying to show you her parents because her dad's pretty mean to her at the beginning and i think you know the the whole car accident and then the plate turning her into a cold person is supposed to be hey her parents sucked so she's a mean cold person yeah um who we find out immediately it murders a lot of people um often often quite often uh this movie starts after the car accident um, in the very graphic scene of her getting the plate put into her head, which was hard for me to watch. I never feel that way about movies, usually. Like, I feel pretty desensitized. Like, when I hear people talk about this movie, they're like, yeah, it's really hard to watch. And I was like, not really. I didn't think. And I feel bad whenever that happens, when people are like, oh, this movie's gross. It's tough to watch. I'm always like, I mean, it was yucky, but I was never like, oh, God, I can't be looking at this. Mm-hmm. Um she it shows she's at a car show um and she's just a dancer who dances on top of a car um very strangely a bunch of men want her autograph and i guess she's famous for this which is strange and doesn't really add up to me well what porn conventions men are horny yeah 
but the idea that you see a woman dancing on a car and go, gotta get that babe's autograph. I think gotta be surprised. Me, gotta, yeah, no, yeah, it, it reminds me of dudes who like, uh, it reminds me of the, the type of dudes who like have a picture of them with all the Hooters waitresses and stuff like that. Um, but she gets done dancing on the car and then. Well, I'm gonna backtrack for a minute. I, oh, sorry, did I kind of just run with it? No, but I, I tossed it back and forth. And I'm gonna shame admit this. I'm not proud of it, and I don't stand by it. You have a picture of you with a Hooters waitress? No. But it, your interpretation is definitely the most, I guess, like, uh, morally sound. But definitely in the beginning, I was like, this little fucking Titan, I already don't like her. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, Throughout this whole movie, I was like, Titan can I did do not no like Titan. I love Titan. Um, but yeah. The, uh, yeah, she's doing the car noise, and that's fine. I understand that kids can be annoying after a while. Dad doesn't handle it the best. Oh, yeah, no, She turns up some music. Uh, he turns up the music. Then she starts doing it louder, and I'm like, yeah, kids can be little shits. And he's just ignoring it, whatever. Then she starts kicking the fuck out of his chair, and I'm like, oh, man, Titan is pushing it. And then she takes her seatbelt off while they're on the highway, and he turns around to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Kind of a thing, and they get into a car accident. And that, my first thought legitimately was, it's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Titan, that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, that's what your dad was trying to stop you yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get that for to sure. To be yes. fair, it was caused by him even being like, hey, put your seatbelt. Like, he should not have turned around. Yeah. Obviously, it's entirely his fault, and it is not Titan's fault. But again, just because of... It's almost like the Duke, where, like, you're not supposed to just hate a kid. But you hate that kid. And you aren't supposed to cheer on when physical harm happens to a child. And that's not what I'm doing. But yeah, there was a tiny voice in my head when it immediately when I was out. But I was like, well, someone shouldn't have taken their seatbelt off, huh? <laughs> Titan, you made this metal bed, now you gotta lay in it. Yeah. Um, dances on car. Mm-hmm. Gives some autographs. He's taking a shower with all the rest of the models there. I will also backtrack one more time. While she does get swarmed, quote-unquote, by, like, three dudes wanting autographs, I do love that it's, like, such an intense um, scene when she's dancing and stuff, and then mm-hmm. it just kind of hard cuts to, like, nobody's actually really paying attention. Like, they're just kind of coming and going in the car show. Yeah. It's not like there's, like, yeah, an yeah. audience or anything like that. Yeah, she's seemingly doing it for... An audience of one. Herself. Um, the Spank Bank. The Spank Bank. Her um, own Spank Bank. Yeah. She's thinking so- about that car. Um, I like the juxtaposition of that scene and the scene that immediately follows, kind of, and what the re- what follows for the rest of this movie. Okay. When it comes to, I really enjoy, enjoy is a bad word to say, for this, I really admire the way nudity is used in this movie, because mm-hmm. it's French, and so I was like, okay, well, yeah, I guess French people are more, are much, much more open with this, but I like how, yeah, she's dancing on the car, and it's supposed to be, like, hyper- erotic and stuff like that and then it cuts to them in the showers and it's just hey we're just naked here Mm -hmm. and the way nudity is used in this movie and i guess sexuality is used in this movie it's like that like with the with the the the, it's only ever like supposed to be like super sexual when it involves a car for some reason Mm -hmm. she's dancing on the car when she's having the sex with the car but then later it's like, oh no, she's just a person who is existing in her own apartment and she's naked. And then you get the scenes like later where it's like uh, just a pregnant woman naked crying and just being like, hey, this is, this sucks. 
Um, yeah. I don't know. I just never. I'm not. Uh, you know, Chris. I'm not cultured. I don't know stuff. I'm not cosmopolitan. But no, I've just never seen nudity used this way in a movie before. Uh, and I really appreciated it. But she's taking the shower with the other people. Her hair gets caught in someone else's nipple ring. Another act of cruelty. She just he yanks it out. She just yanks it out. She's like, I thought you said it didn't hurt. It hurts when you yank it. But I like when she's like, the, the, the nipple ring girl is trying to talk to her. And she's just ignoring her. And he gets caught. She's like, ah, oh, fuck you, whatever. Like, you tell me your name now? She goes, do you beep when you go to the airport? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think from here she leaves and more dudes swarm her to get autographs. One dude. No, two dudes. It's two, two dudes. dudes. She signs one of them and tells the other guy to fuck off. Yeah, that she's done for the day or whatever. Yeah, it's like, okay, cool. You max us four autographs in a day. Yeah, and then she puts her hair up and puts it in place with one metal chopstick, which is cool. I think it's just a badass move to see anyone just do that real quick and then shove the chopstick in. And then she walks to her car and a guy follows her. And he knocks on the window and he's like, oh, God, I want an autograph. Titan, I love you. And she gives him the autograph and he's like, oh, I'm in love with you, by the way. And she's like, doesn't say anything. And he's just like, I know it's weird. I just thought maybe you and I could be friends and maybe I could, you know, convince you that we should be in love. Real Pepe Le Pew. Real Pepe Le Pew shit here. And uh, he, like, forcibly kisses her. And she, like, kind of resists at first. And then she just goes for it. And she's just making out hardcore with this dude. She's sitting in her car. He's, like, standing outside the car, like, leaned in through the window. And then she takes a trap, metal chopstick out of her hair and then shoves it through his ear. Uh, and he starts filming at the mouth and he dies. Then she goes over, puts her foot on his head, and then grabs the chopstick with both hands and has to yank it out. Um and this sets up that yeah she just she kills she kills a yeah. lot of people in this movie hate the white stuff coming out of miles when people die oh yeah it's very hard to look at for me because i don't understand it i don't yeah. know what it is i know it happens it makes me think of calm yeah i just wish don't, it didn't i just i don't i don't have that problem but i think it's gross i don't know yeah. what like i i don't know the the anatomy of that like what yeah. in my body is gonna create a foam mm. that extrudes from my mouth yeah um, she takes another shower. She takes another shower. Lightning McQueen comes knocking. Kachuga. Oh, he Kachuga. She goes outside and they Kachuga. She has sex with a car. Um, not much more to say about that. She just has sex with a car. And then, is she like immediately pregnant? Uh, pretty much she starts the next day like being like, oh, what's wrong with my tummy? And she has Papa come look at it, and Papa doesn't really want to look at it as much as he should. Yeah. And I think she's already got a little bit of oil. Yep, 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 yeah, yep. Yeah, because they got that wild shot of her crotch mm-hmm, mm-hmm, underneath mm-hmm. the blankets. Um, She's watching the news and stuff. I don't know exactly when this happens, but it seems like pretty much after it, that's when she's on the beach with her mm-hmm. lover. She starts sucking on a nipple. It's a nice parallel to Mulholland Drive. Yep, yep. Uh, just starts yanking on her teeth, and she's like, yeah, fucking stop that. And it gets violent enough to the point where she runs away from her. And then she kind of confides in that girl that she might be pregnant. She takes a test and also more black oil. And then she's knocking on the door. The lover is, and she's like, what's the dealio? Home slice is your prego ego. Oh, and she also she pisses on the pregnancy test, looks at it, and then takes the chopstick again, and then just starts getting up in there. Yeah, I forgot she, about that part. This, yeah. She gets hard to watch for sure. Gets her money use out of this one chopstick that mm-hmm. she has. She uses it constantly in this movie for the worst stuff imaginable. Yeah. 
Um, she then kills her lover. Um, a gentleman wanders down the stairs. She kills him. Then another woman comes down the stairs. He tells her to like call the cops as he's dying. She goes upstairs to take care of that and then bumps into a fourth person. Kind of becomes a little bit of a comical scene because she's like, how many people are here? Another parallel to Mulholland Drive. It reminds me of the ultra-violent scene we get in the other one where multiple people die and it's also funny. Um, after she mass murders that whole house, she goes home to burn her clothes and uh, sets the whole house on fire and locks her parents into their room, presumably killing them as well. I don't remember that. No. No, I might, yeah. have, I might have left for a, a second, but no, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, basically she takes her clothes from that event, she takes yeah. them into the garage, throws them in a little barrel, covers them in lighter fluid, lights it, watches it just keep growing and growing until it engulfs the wall and the ceiling, and then she walks from the garage, which is attached to the house upstairs, mm-hmm. she opens up the door, her parents are laying there, her mom's asleep, her dad isn't, they make quiet eye contact, kind of like Spud and uh, Ewan McGregor, yeah. um, and she grabs the key from the other side kind of rapidly and he gets up to try to stop her but she closes the door and locks it and then she's walking down the highway and she gets picked up for a hitchhike mm-hmm. hitchhike takes her to the airport there's cops everywhere oh that girl got away by the way we missed that the girl from the house yeah yeah one of the girls got away and now she's on the run and the cops are looking for her yeah and she decides to do a very french thing um pretend to be a missing boy yes see him on the news earlier and mm-hmm. you see it but just a picture of him on a billboard at the tra- or airport or train station, wherever she is. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I kind of look like that kid. I could be. I could be an adult version of that kid. Because she's, I think, I read somewhere that she, that this actress was cast because she's uh, androgynous. But she goes in the bathroom and cuts her hair and then goes, I gotta, I gotta smash this nose up real good <laughs> for some reason. I personally, my biggest problem with this movie, that kid the police sketch of him as an adult a looks nothing like the kid b looks nothing like titan yeah um and so she goes to the police and goes hey i'm boy yeah and dad comes even in that scene i can like i like that you can tell that like he doesn't actually think that's his kid he's he's suspect for sure yeah yeah Yeah. um nonetheless they go home He's crying about, like, why don't you say anything? Why don't you say anything? Titan just refuses to say anything for a long time. Um, they may have dinner together. Then he puts Titan to bed and, uh, for some reason, insists that he undresses Titan. Um, maybe that's how the French treat their sons. I don't know. Great question. Um, but she concedes to undressing with him turned around. Um, then, pretty soon after, we also glazed over the fact that in the. Um, bathroom where she cuts her hair she starts doing something she does for the rest of the movie where she binds both her chest and her pregnant belly Yeah, um, which gets increasingly painful for her and um, yeah just hard to watch because of how much belly there is to compress and it's... also all the sores all over her body from wearing it just yeah. non-stop yeah it's tough yeah Yeah. Um, do we mention he's a firefighter? That's where they are. They're at the fire station. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a fire station, um, and Titan is introduced to all of the, 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 the men who work underneath him in the fire station. Um, for some reason, they immediately code Titan is gay. I'm assuming that's just because sh- they can tell that something's other about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, 
one guy specifically slowly throughout the course of the second half of the film, you know, pieces together who she is and tries to inform the dad, but the dad genuinely doesn't care. Do you know what that character's name is? No. Conscience. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucks. Yeah, he yeah, he does that. say. He's like, they call me Conscience. Anyways, um, there's also a simulation they run with Conscience and, and, and uh, French Daddy. Oh, yeah. uh, where he yeah. hallucinates seeing a boy engulfed in flame, like an ashen boy. Mm-hmm. Don't know what that's about. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Um. Da- fire, fire, dad. Uh, also, just day in, day out, putting steroids in his butt. Mm-hmm. Um. Didn't expect there to be a silence after I said that. Show. Okay. <laughs> French Daddy also makes Titan dance with her with him, uh, which leads to them fighting a bit. Uh, in as far as like even like the, to the French Dad being like, if you want to fight, let's fucking fight. Um, also, Titan tries to kill him, um, but through his her you know her relationship with the uh, French Daddy uh, seems to for the first time um grinch style growing a uh, you know kind of an affection uh for for another human being um a cure for her condition if you will and yeah i again big asterisks big uh big emphasis big emphasis on i think i think i think uh and also much like maholland drive i did some research on this movie after seeing it looking at other people's thoughts and opinions and the narrative i have built i think and i think it really like comes to a head here when uh titan leaves after fighting dead and they're on the bus titan is on the bus with that other woman and those guys come on the bus and harass that woman but ignore titan and titan is like "Mm, maybe i will keep being a dude (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'll go back to dad and keep being a dude. And I think it's one of the themes of this movie is is that, like the the bullshit of gender norms and stuff like that, where when Titan is pregnant, Titan feel bad. When Titan is doing female things, Titan feel bad. When Titan accepts that now that they're this person's son and they live this life, they feel better about themselves. And the flip side of that is Fire Dad. Again, Fireman, very masculine job usually, uh, is trying as hard as he can to cling to that masculine, strong youth thing because he's injecting himself with steroids constantly. But the only time you ever see Fire Dad happy is when he's having these raves, these very homoerotic raves with all the other firefighters. And at the end when they have the baby. And I got nothing else. Oh, okay. I thought that was, I thought I was going to have something deeper to say about that by the time <laughs> I got to the end of it. But I was like, hey, here's some things I maybe have noticed. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like the Iron Giant. Um, uh-huh. French Daddy uh, eventually, I mean, just blatantly states, like, I know. I really like this part. Yeah. yeah. And I don't care. You know what I mean? You're As, my son and you'll always be my son. I love that. For sure. I thought I love um, Chris, I love Fire Dad, mm. um, but I, th- I thought for sure watching this movie, I'm like, nah, there's gonna be a part where Fire Dad gets definitive proof and kills Titan or something like that. Mm. But I do, I really, really love that scene where he comes in and he goes, 
I don't care who you are. You're my son. It's like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, Mama comes, and Mama does definitively find that proof. And even she is like, I don't give a shit. He just needs someone. So you cannot leave. You have to be there for him. Yeah. Um. Yes. Uh. Yeah. I mean, you've already stated, you know, their favorite pastime is to drink and smoke and um, shirtless rave-style dance together. Um. Titan stops everybody in their tracks by dancing. They all, um, they all grab Titan and throw him up on the top of this fire truck and go, dance for us, Titan. Yeah. And I wonder if it's interesting to note that specifically Titan dances in a very feminine way. Mm-hmm. And that seems to turn all of them off. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you, you know, as you were saying earlier, the whole very homoerotic stuff where they're just being shirtless and masculine with each other. Yeah. It's totally great. And then, yeah, somehow Titan stops them all on their tracks. Um, and they all go, we're fucking out of here. And Titan yeah. goes, I'm going to fuck this truck. I'm going to fuck this truck. Uh, and then she gives uh, birth, but not before sexually coming on to her, her, her dad figure, uh, which dad figure rejects. Um, the birthing takes place. Um she cracks like an egg. Yeah. Big and dies. Egg. And dies. But the baby's alive with a metal spine. And French daddy is here. Je suis ici. Zut alors. Um, One complaint I have about this movie, mm-hmm. that I would say is probably my biggest complaint, I wanted Carbaby to be more fucked up. <laughs> I wanted Carbaby to make me bumblebee. squirm. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted this movie to be executive produced by David Cronenberg so he could get in there and go, mm-mm. This baby's too much like a normal baby. Yeah, you just see you just see the back of the baby, and it looks like a normal baby with a metal spine. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of. How are those things that fucking headlights, Chris? <laughs> I wish I had um, thought about it more prior to doing this. Um, which is an embarrassing thing to admit on a movie podcast, but <laughs> some of the. Um, film scholarship that i've read has made it may have been a scholar named mulvey i could be misattributing this but you know there's a nice piece out there um you know i mean honestly i could you know you could even just give me a second to pull it up but um okay i think it was carol clover who was kind of continuing on with what Laura Mulvey was doing with feminist film critique and um, slasher films. It was the f- one of the first, if not the first, film scholarship pieces to take slasher films with any kind of, um, with any kind of, uh, I guess, like respect or whatever you want to refer to it as. Um, but the argument she was kind of making was that, like, at large, slasher films, very specifically in her point of view, unjustly are treated as if they're like just garbage um just the lowest of the low couldn't be more base barely above pornography if not adjacent to pornography Mm -hmm. um and her argument was that it couldn't be farther from the truth and that especially in low budget independent horror there is not a finger closer to the pulse of whatever generation is making them yeah that's the most direct way Mm -hmm. to see how kids at that time view the world specifically in relation to things like gender sexuality 
and stuff like that. And then so that in that regard, one of the things that struck me about Titan very immediately um, was, you know, and I'm talking like first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, okay, so this is like a really interesting movie where your main character becomes Jason Voorhees and also for some reason everybody's nice to them and they're allowed to operate within society, but also they're not like a predator stalking prey. They just kind of act at random. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically like given those like specifications I just gave, the only reason why I clarified that was because it's basically a slasher movie. It is for like 10 minutes, which yeah. is so strange, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and in general, it's, basically a horror movie um now another interesting that it thing that it does being both of those things in my opinion is instead of doing the hitchcock thing where the first half is the normal half and the second half is the slasher film or whatever yeah it does the exact opposite the second yeah. half becomes normal yeah um so anyways <laughs> um I don't have any finer points to make. You know, you made a couple earlier, but other than to say that, like, from that regard, it is an interesting contemporary examination of, you know, some of those themes of gender yeah. and, you know, and stuff like that. So if you have anything to roll with that. Um, yeah, just what I, what I said earlier about what you're saying right now. Um, all of that and the, um, um, the, the whole chosen family aspect of it or fire dead and titan be come what each other exactly what the other yeah. person needs uh even if it's just for a moment or two before titan splits like a big metal egg mm-hmm. um but i will say at the end of the day i do not understand the car stuff <laughs> i don't yeah i at this point in time yeah, I still just don't get this car sex in the car, baby. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to throw a couple of things out there, and I'm just, you know, thinking right now, like, one of the things that the dad situation reminds me of is, like, the emphasis these days on, like, uh, forget your family if they don't understand you. Mm-hmm. Go find your family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah love that. It's great. Would you, do you think that's accurate to... Yeah, I think you just put a finer point on what okay. I was trying to say. Okay. Um, with the car thing, you know, is there the chance that it's basically the Videodrome thing, where they're just saying that, like people in general are becoming like titan in a sense just from like our interaction with technology at large that we're kind of becoming cold and uncaring to like violence and people in general just dying and stuff like that and that we're becoming more cruel and stuff like that do you think it's some of that yeah could it be okay hear me out on this because also, just real quick to wrap that little thought up, uh, like the becoming pregnant with the pseudo technology human baby kind of reminds me of like the whole idea of new flesh and video drama yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Giving birth to something that's not quite human, but it's somewhere in between the new technologies that augment us. And yeah, you know, I could also see it as just, a way to raise the stakes. <laughs> just stick with me here. Okay. Because I'm just, I don't have this thought fully formed, and I'm just going to start talking. Yeah. Here we go. All right. The way, especially at the beginning, cars are shown off that there are these weird, sexy things to be ogled by men uh-huh. at the beginning. And there's this big show where they get them all nice and shiny and show them off. 
and they also have women dancing on top of them yeah and do these things for men to you know control mm-hmm. um so maybe titan feels most connected to a car and relates more so with a car especially mm-hmm. since she has titanium in her brain as well yeah on top of all the video drum stuff that you just said yeah um yeah again like i was like i like i did earlier didn't have a finer point before i started <laughs> talking um no that's fair i mean that's one of the the you know cornerstones of almost like any feminist critique of anything is the like even just you know for one of my classes right now uh i'm taking a class called modernism and modernity and it has an emphasis in the idea of like mobility mm-hmm. which i'm kind of struggling to grasp even from the rip we had to read a paper that was trying to distinguish the difference between movement and mobility. Yeah. And it was maybe in explaining it to you, I can help make sense of my mind. It was trying to distinguish that movement is like point A to point B, you know, a line on a map, that kind of a thing, like actually moving. Yeah. In general. Whereas mobility is sort of in a sense, making sense of that. Like to give you an example, like, something like an immigrant or uh, an idea coming from somewhere like Paris and then being able to see that in New York, in a sense. Uh, Maybe another example would be like, again, the mobility of something like a concept to give like a very fine example. Um, The idea that like how blood moves through veins and stuff when that was discovered very immediately got picked up by like urban developers and a lot of that language of like congestion and all that kind of stuff became how they described the movement through a city okay and that like urban mobility um yeah like that being like mobility being like the sense made of that movement i guess okay am i making any sense kind of yeah like i said it's still kind of flimsy i'm still trying to figure out entirely but go ahead i'm going somewhere by the way with the feminist thing would it be like i'm trying to i'm trying to think of another example of what you were saying movement would be going from the suburbs to downtown yeah and mobility would be getting on the train system built by the city going from the suburbs <laughs> to downtown that's not good no that's not what you were saying perhaps another example is like mobility is almost like a social mobility almost like a, okay like um the idea that you could move up from middle class upper class oh okay like you could that's a movement but also the mobility implies a bunch of things for you gotcha you know that kind of a thing like yeah it's really tricky to kind of like because like i said i'm just yeah i don't know i could give you the paper and you could try to make some sense out of it but it is i'd rather not yeah wishy-washy i mean even in class it was discussed that like sometimes the words get used kind of interchangeably but I think at large the, 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 the more important thing to be taken from the um, paper was like some of the things that kind of go hand in hand with modernism. Like the idea that like mobility um, 
in general is kind of uh, associated with like youth and like freedom and all of those things were much more you know kind of available like in the turn of the century that's the modern period or whatever like in the 20s like you know suddenly there's airplanes overhead and there's trains and stuff like that and you can move and that's encouraged and prior to that it wasn't really encouraged you kind of stayed where you're from and people who moved like that were seen as like outsiders and that was something to shun but that was this new thing you know anyways can i take another crack at it sure but i'm saying i don't even have a good enough you know understanding of the concept to even tell you whether or not it's exactly okay right, but go ahead movement would be going from third street to first street yeah mobility would be going from third chair clarinet to first chair clarinet perhaps okay perhaps um but anyways, in that, they tell this very specific anecdote uh, about... Uh, well, I'll get to the anecdote in a second. Um, they talk about the way in which um, sperm and egg are coded in... Um, Yucky stuff. <laughs> in medical textbooks and how up until that point, like the speed at which sperm moved was amazing and and uh the amount of sperm that you know men could produce is remarkable and it penetrates the egg and impregnates the egg and how the the, the egg was kind of coded you know very classically as like being passive right mm. and and masculinity you know just universally is referred to as is you know being the active right and femininity is being the passive right um and how that's slowly changing like most things and how you know these days medical professional like the field at large accepts that the egg is as much you know an agent in this process as the sperm is that it has its own set of things that are remarkable about how it chooses sperm or whatever yeah. it is right i'm not a medical professional professional um and uh we got so far off topic with the mobility thing i don't know where i was exactly going with that but um, you were talking about the spectacle and the to be observed thing with Titan and the car mm-hmm. situation, and uh, yeah, there was gonna be some way where I bridged that between like that concept that you were speaking of and the concept that I just brought up are two of like the fundamental building blocks of like feminist critique of almost anything is like you know how are women portrayed and how are men are portrayed are broken down into those two things like traditionally men are usually coded as the one that like ogles the one that views the viewer women are the thing to be viewed yeah and and like i said there's also the active and the passive you know women are passive and the active being watched men are the ones that are usually being watched or that are doing the watching right so Yes, there is definitely something to be said for what you were saying is all I meant to say, but we took too long to get there, so I can't remember what my finer point was. Great. Yeah. Um, one last little fun thing I'd like to say. Yeah. Uh, that is not something I came up with. Okay. It's not something I found up by myself. Okay. It is, hey, full transparency here. Uh-huh. I heard someone else on another movie podcast say this in reference to Titan. Okay. But, fun fact. Yeah. In Fran- French... I'm sure you know because you took a, a little bit of French. There are uh, gendered pronouns for objects. Mm-hmm. Cars are women. Yeah. Cars are. Burp, 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 burp. What about titanium? Cars are. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they have one. Yeah. Yeah, but in 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 France you'd have to say well, there's la and la, correct? Mm-hmm. One's masculine, one's feminine, and you always use the feminine one when you're talking about a car. Yeah. 
I could be talking entirely out of my ass, but there, I feel like there are a decent amount of objects that are women. Yeah. Like la, L-A, is the feminine one, and le is the masculine one. And there's a store over there at Somerset Mall called Sur La Table, or whatever, I don't know how you say table, I can't remember how to pronounce it in French, but Sur is on, like S-U-R, and la is the feminine the, so I assume table is feminine as well. Hmm. So... Maybe there is a masculine table, though. Maybe if you're talking about a guy, you say, oh, you're sitting at the fucking table. The motherfucking table. Ugh. Anyways, Titan's pretty good um, overall. Like I said, it's, you know, one of those things that, like, in my opinion, definitely, um, you know, there, there's just the, you know, I've mentioned it before, and so have a lot of people. There, There is the draw to, like, when a horror movie is good to try to separate it from the genre. But yeah. this is a horror movie. As far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much a slasher movie. And, uh, you know, accepting those things, even in my own opinion, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, damn, like, what do I even write this? I'd probably give it about what I gave uh, Mulholland Drive, like a B minus, maybe more as time goes on. But this is definitely something special. And it's especially special, um, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, when you find something like this uh, that's contemporary. Yeah. So it's a very neat thing, and it's a very modern thing. Go watch today's Videodrome today. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I would like to see it again probably sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, love what you were saying about it being a reverse horror movie, basically, or a reverse slasher. Mm-hmm. You get all the killing right up front in one scene, and then the rest of it happens. Um yeah, I think well, you kind of get a condensed form of it in general because you get, you know, the one murder, then you get the triple murder. Uh, triple murder is usually like, you know, the climax when like everybody mm-hmm. starts to get uh, murdered, leading up to there being one person. Not entirely the climax, but the the last little bit of rising action that kind of comes to the climax. And then traditionally, you also get like a uh, a final girl, like someone the murderer does not kill, and yeah. she tries to kill French Dad, but doesn't he overpowers her and not only overpowers her physically but emotionally yeah you know um so french daddy's kind of the final girl he is he is um i think this movie shot really well i think all the music choices are great in it um love all the performances in it even though yeah the last song she's dancing to is a version of the country song her dad is listening to in the beginning oh yeah that's fun yeah um I think all the performances are great, and it's so it's so strange when I see a movie that's in a language I don't speak, and the performance really gets through to me. Because like when I think about this movie, in my mind it's a silent film, <laughs> and I can't think of anyone really saying anything because I don't you know speak the language, so none of that really penetrated in my brain. Yeah. Um, but even beyond that, I don't know either of the actors' names, but Titan and Fire Dad. Yeah just top-notch in this movie i don't like to participate in a lot of table talk but i am very deeply compelled for next week's movie my choice to be india song okay yeah just because it's a french film just like this one it's dreamy and surreal but definitely not in a in a david lynch way it's a very different take on that okay and also it definitely ties into some of the, the feminist themes of this movie and some of the things we talked about all right and um, i'll pick india Indiana Jones. <laughs> that's a bad joke. I'm gonna cut that one. Anyway. No, that's very funny. Anyway, I give. Titan no, it's a really good joke. You should cut that. Yeah. I'm gonna give the Titan a B plus. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, any closing anything or just that's um I've forgot to make you do improv this week. Sorry. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll Chris, I promise I'll do it next week. All right. Well, that's all mattress man. Or that's fuck. No, that's that mattress man. No, I ruined my own bit. Yeah, man. Come on. God damn. Give it one more give it one more shot. All right. that's that mattress man. The other one's funnier, though, I guess. Perhaps. If you need more soup, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or go to our website, eatingsoupalone.com. And until next time...